Good evening, USOP Media listeners, and thank you for tuning in to the 10th edition of the USOP Sportscast. Check us out at Twitter at USOP Media. We've got some, we're going to have some fire takes on there. We've got a fire video on there completed by your very own Jared Ludecker. Uh, so as, as I said, I'm Jared. I'm joined by Lucas Mason Moyer. Everybody, how's it going? Aiden Lewis. What's up? Bartosz Janchuk. Hey, hey, hey. And of course, Wyatt Ludecker. Oh, hey. <laughs> um, before we start, of course, we have to we have to talk about um, a really tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, super shocking news. Such an icon. Um, really heartbreaking for not only not only the league, not only um, the NBA, not only professional sports, but really like a lot of the, a lot of the world. So, anything anybody else want to say about that? And shout out to him, too, for being one of the biggest promoters of women's sports, especially with his daughters in the past couple of years, taking his daughter to NBA game, WNBA games, other things like that. Another, like, great cultural thing. There was a moment, I think, when he was on Jimmy Kimmel, like, a while back, where people are always like, oh, how are you going to carry on your legacy? Like, you don't have any sons. And he's like, well, you know, I'm the 13-year-old daughter who died with him right here. So I think that was reflected very well on him as well. And sad to see. Well, we're going to move on to some uh, some football. Obviously, we have the Super Bowl coming up. We're going to do a little preview on it and look at all facets of the game. We're going to start off with um, Bart. He's going to walk us through some what the offense is going to look like. Um, Bart, what, you, what do you have for the Super Bowl preview? I, th- I think there's a pretty good case to be made that uh, Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid are probably the two best offensive play callers in their respective conferences. So it's going to be very interesting. I mean, the... Uh, the 49ers were second in the league in points scored. The Chiefs were fifth, but if you take out the games that Mahomes was injured, they were tied for third. So it's mm-hmm. it's like two of the be- like basically the two best offenses in the league. Rest in peace to the Ravens. So it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty <laughs> crazy. Um, they're definitely yeah they're very interesting. They're pretty innovative offenses. I know that they both use a lot of motion, so I'm expecting to see a ton of that. Um, like Shanahan like leads the league far and away with with how much he uses that, and people are just starting to copy him now. Um, I think you'd be amiss to talk about this game without talking about George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, maybe the two best tight ends in the, in the league. Uh, maybe a coincidence that they're both in the Super Bowl. Maybe not. I think tight ends are starting to blossom like more in offenses now as well. Um, but obviously they both have a lot of good players. Otherwise like Juszczyk and Debo Samuel on the Niners, Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins on the Chiefs. So there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, obviously the, the big thing is the difference in quarterback talent though. Uh, Patrick Holmes is like the best player in the league, just like straight up. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is just like serviceable. So I think that's why the 49ers run so much. Um, they ran like more than half of their their plays offensively were run plays, whereas the Chiefs like threw on like 60% of their plays or something like that. So that's going to be a, a very stark difference, I think. Um, I've, I've heard some whispers that Kyle Shanahan wasn't trying to run too much in the, or wasn't trying to pass too much in the playoffs so that he could – hide hide their their uh their plays and throw them out in the super bowl so we'll see maybe the 49ers will will turn that on its head um but i think yeah fundamentally they're pretty different offenses but um it's going to be explosive i think for sure that's that's going to be um very yeah very fun to watch the football fan in me wants to see Mahomes go off and have a field day like he did in the first two playoff games but as far as predictions go i just think the san francisco offense will have an easier time being creative and exploiting Kansas City's defense than vice versa. 
See, I actually think the Chiefs might have a slight edge in some areas. I mean, you touched on a lot of great points, Bart, lots of things I was going to mention, but I think that the Chiefs have slightly more explosive players at the skill positions too, which will give them a slight edge. Um, Mahomes is the better quarterback we talked about the two, and I think Hill and Watkins at the wide receivers, I think them playing into that passing game sort of has a better chance of exploiting the 49ers' defense weaknesses as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to come down to the pass rush. I saw a stat that uh, of all the like eight previous teams that had 55-plus sacks in a season, they all won the Super Bowl, and the Niners had four, uh, 57. So if, if they can get to Mahomes quickly enough, it's going to be a wrap. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how Mahomes reacts to like an actual pass defense. Like the Titans were in the twenties in terms of pass defenses in the league. The 49ers are first. This is gonna be a, a different ball game in that regard. So not saying that he won't go off, but it's gonna be a little bit more difficult to to come back if they put themselves in the, the hole that they put themselves in in the first two rounds. So I kind of compare it. To like the Lakers and the Clippers is where one team on paper, the 49ers look really good, like the Clippers do. But another team like Kansas City has just like this explosive offense. They're, they're more dynamic. It's kind of hard to game plan for dynamic offenses than it is for um, a team that's like really calculated and kind of runs their thing. I mean, what, what does Kansas City really run? as far as offense goes, we don't really know like what their scheme is. They're just, they could do whatever they, they wanted to do what he wants to. Right. And then <laughs> if you look at the 49ers, you can at least say that they run like a zone running scheme, which is, it's not like it's uh, I mean, you could, you could label it. I think it'd be easier to stop a calculated approach than something like the Kansas city chiefs and what they have. All right, so with that, uh, we've wrapped up the offensive side of the ball. Looking at you know the two explosive offenses, and we'll move on then uh, to the defensive side of the ball. And looking at that, it's going to be another really tightly contested battle in terms of points allowed. They were almost identical this past year. Uh, Kansas City had the slight edge, 19.3 points allowed in the game versus 19.4 for the 49ers. But the 49ers um, were a lot better in terms of yards allowed. They were second overall, and plus, as Bart mentioned before, they had 57 sacks. And I think they have a really strong secondary uh, led by Richard Sherman, forcing a lot of turnovers as well. So I think despite the closeness in terms of them holding opponents to low scoring points, I think uh, San Francisco has a slight edge there because of their defensive front and their secondary and just overall well-roundedness. I agree. The edge is slight, though, I think. I think that yeah. Kansas City's defense is, is underrated in terms of what they can do. I mean, let's say that they're defense and all their defensive players played their best game for Kansas City side between Tyron Matthew, Frank Clark, you know, Chris Jones, all those guys. Um, let's say let's say all of them play their best game. It would be very hard to see like a blowout and of a complete just meltdown from Kansas City's defense. I would say though is that the New or the sorry, the San Francisco's defense has been far more consistent throughout the year so i mean you you know what they're gonna do and you don't have to say that this guy has has to have their best game because they have so much depth on the defensive line they have a lot of veteran experience with guys like richard sherman i, I would definitely say that the san francisco 49ers have the edge 
on the defensive side. Yeah, but the the Kansas City defense has gotten like markedly better over the course of the season. So I, I, if there's if there's anything to be said about like getting hot or whatever, I do think the Chiefs defense has something going for them there. If you're talking about players to impact a game, who do you think has the best player that that could impact a game? Is it Tyron Matthew over at Kansas City? Is it Bosa over at for, the 49ers or maybe Sherman? Who do you think has more potential for one of their big players to to make a really big statement? Matthew. Yeah, I was going to say Matthew, too. If Again, if we're saying things about getting hot at the right time and peaking at the right time, he was incredible last week versus the Titans. I yeah. think we talked about outside of Mahomes, he was their best player. So I think if somebody's going to break the game and really sort of alter it, it's going to have to be somebody on the Chiefs defense coming up. Um, and I think Matthew would be the guy. Agreed. All right, let's flip yeah. it over to coaching real quick. Um, Wyatt, we want to give us a little preview on that. So as far as coaching is concerned, I would say if you look at Andy Reid, he has a way bigger body of work. Um, I know that both of these guys are kind of famous for their shortfall or shortcomings when it comes to big games. Um, Kyle Shanahan obviously had the 28-3 or, uh, Atlanta meltdown, and it wasn't his fault because he wasn't the head coach and, and all that stuff like that. I would give the edge to the Kansas City Chiefs. I kind of mentioned it earlier is that what do they do well? And they kind of do everything well. If you just look at way, the way Andy Reid has been able to adapt his offense and change and move and the way that they game plan and the way they've game plan this entire playoffs, it easily to me goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. No, I agree. I mean, big game experience, great offensive play caller. I think Reid gets the edge here as well. I am a little bit more skeptical of that myself. Um, I think, like, look at what Shanahan has done with the limited talent that he has. Like, he's made Raheem Mostert look amazing. He's made Debo Samuel look amazing. Andy Reid has Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, <laughs> and Tyreek Hill. I wouldn't say Debo Samuel is limited talent. He seems like he's an up and, pro- up and coming uh, wide receiver for the 49ers. Just because he's a rookie doesn't mean that he's some scrub. I mean, okay, I guess it's it's impossible to distinguish between how good he is and how good he looks right. in Shanahan's offense, but I, I feel like it's more so of the latter. I guess we can agree to disagree. I can, well, I can agree that the talent is less than what Kansas City has, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to whether the 49ers' rushing attacks can still succeed. The Chiefs did a surprisingly like good job last, last week of stopping Derrick Henry and the Titans' rushing attack. If they can do a similar thing here and it becomes a shootout between Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo, like you got to give the edge to Mahomes. So I, I am going to take the Chiefs, but I think it's going to be a toss-up. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, I'm going to take the Chiefs as well. Um, I think that the gap on offense between the two teams is bigger than the gap on defense. And I think the Chiefs have the advantage in offense versus the 49ers on defense. Plus, I think Andy Reid's coaching and his experience just puts them slightly over the edge. So again, I think it'll be a close game. High scoring, but I'll say 38-34 Chiefs. Okay. Cool. Okay. I, I'm actually going to go with the Niners. Maybe that's a hot take on this podcast. Score? I, don't, I don't know. Oh, um, like that's, yeah, not that hot. Four. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, um, I actually, I think if the Niners do win, they'll win by two possessions. So, or like plus. So, I don't know, like 31-17. Gotcha. Ooh. That's a hot that, take. That's a hot take. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. found the hot take. 
I'm going with the four. I'm going with the Forty Niners as well. I'm going and I'm going with them twenty-seven seventeen. Not that not that Kansas City isn't battle tested, but I think San Francisco really is, especially in the last couple weeks of the season. They had to play really good teams and grind it out um, and win those games. So I'm going with the Forty ers I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three and zero after this playoff <laughs> run. Three and zero. I'm going with Kansas City, and I'm gonna go. <sighs> 34-28, Kansas City. Oh, okay. Can I Just switch like to the, the 49ers now so that I can <laughs> yeah. have a chance at the, yeah. at the best playoff record? Because yeah, I need Wyatt to lose. But yeah, I'm, yes. I'm with the Chiefs. For, for those of you unaware, if Wyatt wins, he automatically wins 100%. best predictions of the playoffs. Yep, the 100%, 100% accuracy. 100% club. <laughs> I'm talking too much. Kansas City is going to get blown out now. um yeah so obviously uh obviously the super bowl is going to hinge a lot on patrick mahomes who won the mvp last year uh aiden who who you think might take it away this year yeah so i think the the big candidates we got here this season are lamar jackson and russell wilson you know mahomes obviously had a great year but he had a, a couple missed a couple games with an injury and in general, it was just kind of all season. It was Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson going back and forth. And as far as those two options, you've got on paper, Lamar Jackson had a ridiculous season. Like he had, he had more rushing yards than like most like above average running backs. I think he had 1200 yards. And then in terms of passing, I think he was still the best passer in the league by statistically. So ridiculous season on his part in terms of like if we're looking at offensive player of the year for the nfl it's 100 percent lamar jackson uh in terms of the most valuable player debate i think you can give russell wilson a shot you know the seahawks defense i think allowed the in terms of points allowed per game were 24th in the league they were very average pretty much all of the seahawks games were close in terms of like a team relying on one player like Russell Wilson's that guy. Like Lamar Jackson was playing in a lot of blowouts, and not to count that against him in this case. But if we're talking about pure like valuableness, then Russell Wilson, with his clutch moments and kind of carrying that team, has an argument to be made for for most valuable player. But I think in general, when you look at most valuable player, generally it's just best statistical player or best like you know best player on paper, and it's, it's going to be hard to to beat Lamar Jackson on that front. Yeah, agreed. Just in a co- another couple stats to throw into. He did 6.9 yards per carry, which is really impressive, and then led the NFL um, in touchdowns with 36. So I think just having that ridiculous of a yards per carry number with seven rushing touchdowns and also leading in passing, like, again, you can get into the value versus best debate, but I just don't think there's any way they'll pass up like yeah. such a, sig- a statistically incredible season yeah. as Lamar Jackson had. Yeah, and his... His touchdown to interception ratio is also outrageous this year. Yeah, thirty-six to six. Yeah, yeah and the thirty-six touchdowns is is the most touchdown passes in a season out of all the quarterbacks this year. But this one's easy. Yeah. It's easily Lamar Jackson. I, I think the case for Russell Wilson is short. Um, I don't think it holds much weight. I think he definitely fell off at the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't. I wasn't. I never believed that Russell Wilson was really in the running. For MVP, I just think that they didn't want it to be Lamar Jackson from week 
what is it, week two, three, all the way to the end of the year. Guys, what about Christian McCaffrey, though? Best flex player. What about him? And best running back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all pro in two positions where you could have just put Derrick Henry in at running back. No, this is McCaffrey like a completely a separate debate, but I dream of the day when MVP is like awarded it everybody but the quarterbacks, and the quarterbacks get their own award because it's just like. It's, yeah, they never yeah, ever. It's not fair. Yeah. McCaffrey absolutely. No one else ever was shot. Say no. what? Who's the last quarterback to not win, or to, when's the last year a quarterback hasn't won MVP? I think it's probably Adrian Peterson in 2012, when he, when he broke 2,000 yards. Yeah, there was a, in 2005, 2006, we had uh, two years in a row and running back win with Sean Alexander and then Ladanian. So that was the, the heyday in the 2000s of, of non-quarterbacks, but ever since then. era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the past. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on from the NFL to the NBA, it's you know the NFL season's wrapping up. We've got to we've got to transition. We've got to move on to basketball. So the first topic we're going to cover is so far this year, what teams have been most surprising and disappointing. We're going to start with surprising teams. Uh, Lucas, who you got so far? Who surprised you in the NBA this year? All right. So there are two that really stuck out for me, and they're the two teams that at the time of recording. So on. January 27th at 9.03 p.m. were second place in their respective conferences. Uh, the Utah Jazz and the Toronto Raptors. Not on air or anything, but just in discussions before um, with people here. I talked about the Utah Jazz as being, I think, having a really good shot to be really good this year. While they have no like dominant superstar, Donovan Mitchell is the closest you get. I think across the board, they have one of the best starting fives um, in terms of just like consistency of talent in the whole NBA with Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal. Bogdanovich and Rudy Gobert, and then a solid bench duo, too, of Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson. Um, and they've sort of rode that to an incredible record this year, the 32-13, and 13, second only to the Lakers um, in the West. And the other one I chose to point out uh, was the Raptors, uh, who are somebody who I think I and a lot of other people wrote off as being kind of, you know, dead in the water after Kawhi left. Um, it seemed at the time that he had basically carried them to that title last year and while like Lowry and Siakam and guys like that were you know solid piece players on a championship team they couldn't really take over after Kawhi left um but I don't know they've really stepped up Siakam has like he's an all-star this year 23 points per game seven rebounds um Lowry, Ibaka, Van Vliet have all I don't know made really consistent contributors Nick Nurse is maybe proving himself to be quite a good coach so yeah, the Raptors and the Jazz were two who um, I think surprised a lot of people this year in a really positive way. So I'm going to push back a little bit against the Jazz yeah. one, actually, about yeah. being surprising. Because they, they, they had a pretty solid squad last year. Um, went six, the, Ended up with a 6-10 winning percentage. And then, obvi- and then some of the teams in front of them, like we knew the Warriors weren't going to be at full strength this year. Um, didn't know if we knew about the Blazers not being at full strength, but that's, that's a different story. So so let's say you take out the Warriors and Blazers, they would have been third that year too, or th- that year. Um, so I, I think, I don't know, I'm not that surprised by them. I think they're, I agree they're doing terrific, but. No, yeah, I'm with, I'm with Jared on this one. I think, I feel like going into the season, the Jazz were a lot of people's dark horse pick for being like actually really good in the West. Like, especially given the fact that there were so many, like so many of the teams around them have stars and the Jazz aren't as star driven. I feel like a lot of people were like, oh, like low key, the Jazz are going to be great. And they have been. 
And I also am not sure that the Raptors are that surprising just because the Raptors were good pre-Kawhi. Like, you know, like obviously with Kawhi, that was their peak, but like they were still a, a top three seed in the East pretty much for the past, what, like four or five years without Kawhi. So I still expected them to be up there. I do think you're right, though, that they both like overperformed even given that. But I'm not yeah, maybe it's not surprising, but they're ones yeah. who are overperforming relative yeah. to expectations, like yeah. within the conference. I, I like, will I think... come to Lucas's defense with the Raptors, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the combination of losing their like far and away their best player and just like the general. Uh, championship hangover that often happens just like in sports uh, in multiple leagues i also thought the raptors would be worse than the what are they the the second seed this year Uh, i mean yeah maybe not like super surprising but to me they're surprising yeah and like i was saying before i think it's just like relative to expectations within the conference like i think in the west like people thought the jazz would be good but like that conference was just gonna be like the lakers and the clippers and the rockets because they had like those three like those three teams had like two mega stars on them and i don't know they're above two of those three teams and the east like there was a lot of hype around the bucks and the sixers and the celtics coming into the year and then the raptors are ahead again of two of those three teams so like both teams are expected to be i guess good but i think that relative to those expectations of being like a four or five six seed they've perform- overperformed up to a second seed at this point yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw out two teams that I'm, I've been surprised by so far. And it was the two teams discussed uh, pre-se- the Heat and the Thunder who discussed preseason as maybe swapping Chris Paul. Um, and I remember thinking at the time that after, you know, Chris Paul had gone to the Thunder um, uh, in the trade from the Rockets, I heard all the discussion about him maybe being traded to the Heat. And I was like, in, in both cases, I think he's his team's going to be kind of a failure. Uh, but both teams have high-key surprised, I think. Like, the Thunder, like, looked like a skeleton crew. And honestly, they've, they're have they performing at about the same, like, level that the team last year was with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And the Heat, like, Jimmy Butler on his own is apparently more of a force than Jimmy Butler with a bunch of other stars. So, <laughs> you know, give Jimmy Butler, like, a group of talented players you know like bam and you know like tyler harrow and uh, kendrick nunn like they put together a good team and that's like a that's a fun like kind of underdog to watch in the east yeah i remember reading tweets about how uh like it's such a shame that chris paul like one of the goats is getting traded to a team like at the tail end of his career where he's just gonna like be sad and depressed because they just suck yeah. <laughs> and lo and behold, it's not that yeah. way at all. It's kind of funny. I thought the Thunder were a playoff team before. I definitely thought. I like. I think if you look at the roster between Stephen Adams, Chris Paul, the uh, Galinari, and then you have like an upcoming star, uh, Gillis Alexander. I thought they were going to make the playoffs. Um, I thought that they were going to be like. I mean, I know they're sitting at seven. I thought that they're maybe going to be like eight and nine for most of the year, and then kind of slip in at the very end. I agree with the Heat, though, because I think the Heat are very competitive throughout the entire league and not just the Eastern Conference. Uh, they sit third right now in the East, but I think that you watch them go up against teams in the West, like the Lakers and the Clippers, and they actually have a chance of winning those games. Um, I don't think any team that we've said so far is a championship team by any means. I don't think the Heat are winning it. I don't think the Raptors are going to win it. Definitely not the Jazz. And maybe the Thunder. It's still kind of up in the air on the Thunder, but I could see the Jazz. I could see the Jazz. Oh. I believe. Okay, well, back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm impressed with what the Heat have done so far this year. And, I, and 
I'm impressed with what the other guys outside of Jimmy Butler have done to step up and create this better roster. Yeah, it definitely harkens back to when he blew up on the Bulls in the first place. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on then to some downers and the biggest disappointments of the year. Um, let's go. I'm All right, so I'm going to throw out mine. I think it's definitely got to be the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, definitely, obviously, they had added Carmelo, which, like, we weren't expecting that to be this, like, world saver and everything, but, like, maybe add some spark. Hasn't really worked out that well. Obviously, we had some, we've had a lot of injuries this year, and Damian's starting to, like, start carry the team a little bit, but... Usually they start off seasons really strong too, and they're they're up at like two and three at the start of this season. So I'm pretty disappointed in what they're doing this year. I this is exactly where I thought that I thought they would be. I, I'm not. I don't. I don't like the Portland Trailblazers. And as, a, as a guy that absolutely trashing the hometown. Yeah, somebody as a hometown team, it, it's hard. I don't like the Trailblazers. I don't think that they have a good roster. I think they let go of too many good role players. Um, this over the summer between Seth Curry, or yes, Seth Curry. Um, I think it was Al Farouk Aminu. I think they've lost Mel Hark. Like they've lost a lot of really good role players. Um, I've I've been very critical of Dame. I think Dame is probably the greatest trailblazer ever, but I don't think he'll ever win a championship. <clears throat> I think I don't think that he play he he's a scorer, and I don't, and I think if you look at Steph. Curry at the same time if you just look at him and you put him on a team by himself if you put him in Portland they're not winning a championship last year was their best chance and I still thought it was a fluke that they even got it to the Western Conference because they got swept I disagree that last year is their best chance though they had to play the Warriors that's never your best chance if you have to play the Golden State Warriors at that. Well, they're frauds. <laughs> they didn't even put up a. They didn't even put up a fight. They got blown out. I think that the Trailblazers I mean, have to completely do. I mean, this is a Trailblazers a debate. Of those games by like one or two yeah, scores. Yeah, there are some, there are some close ones. Oh, good for them. Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> no mercy. I'll remember that. No I'll, mercy. I'll remember that. All, I'm, all I'm saying is to say that they didn't put up a fight is disingenuous. <laughs> I remember them getting blown out because they got swept, but. <laughs> I, I, yeah, mean, I mean, this is this is yeah. where I thought the Blazers was gonna be. I thought I thought that they were unimpressive. I didn't think they were gonna miss the playoffs, mm-hmm. to be honest. But I definitely didn't think that they were gonna be in the mix of four and up, even five, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if we're if we're talking hometown teams, let me just trash on the Wolves. I mean, <laughs> oh, I thought you were going for Lucas's uh, life, but yeah, yeah, I'm gonna trash <laughs> the Sixers next. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I like the Wolves. Obviously, weren't particularly good last year so it's not like they fell too far from grace but like everybody keeps waiting for andrew wiggins to blow up it's never gonna happen <laughs> like every everybody keeps waiting for carl anthony towns to like be able to actually carry a team completely on his own that's just not happening like we we just like we got worse somehow i didn't think it was possible but they're uh <laughs> like ryan saunders as the coach is just not the answer they just seem like a team that's completely disinterested most of the time so i'm yeah i'm disappointed Disappointed for sure. I thought maybe they'd be able to bounce back and at least fight for the playoffs. They're like second to last right now. Just... They've lost nine. They've lost nine straight games. Oh my yeah. god! They're tanking for Lamelo. Yeah. <laughs> please, please no. Everyone wants Lamelo. <laughs> yeah. We do not need Lamar in Minnesota. Oh my god! <laughs> Lamar won't let a son of his go to Minnesota. I feel like yeah. it's like yeah. just LA or New York or like you know. <laughs> That's very true. New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. New Orleans. Can I throw yeah. Out a yeah. Team real quick? Yeah, yeah, go for it. 
it, I won't. I won't make this longer. I think. It, I think the Rockets are incredibly disappointing at the number six spot in the West. They traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook to get better and get over the hump, and they've fallen short a lot. And it's not working. I, it, the both players aren't. I know that they're they're buddy buddy, but they don't play well together. At least not at this point in their career. So the Rockets are one of my teams for disappointing. Yeah. I do think, though, like, preseason, like, I feel like they could have seen that coming. You know, you got Russell and James Harden, who are two very, like, ball-heavy players. Like, they both, like, need it in their hands for much of the game. They got to put up their shots. I don't know if they're, they were ever going to be guys that work together particularly well, you know. Yeah, speaking of guys who are never going to win a championship, like, I feel like James Harden yeah. is similar to Dame in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. And just to quickly throw in my uh, my hometown Sixers too about being very disappointing. They're six in the East, and I don't know. They, it's just like they built a team for the wrong era. Like winning a like with Simmons and Horford and Embiid starting. Like there aren't a lot of shooters on that team. They're twenty third in the league in three pointers and in a league dominated by good three point shooting. That's never gonna. You're never gonna win the championship with that. Like they're defensively solid. Harris has really kind of come on into his own. Thibault's been good this year, but I think last year was their best chance. I think there was the perfect balance of like youth and experience, shooting and defense, and guys in the post last year with Butler as opposed to Horford. And I think maybe the pro- the time has passed. So is Ben Simmons still a hundred percent from three? Do we know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. He's like two for two, right? <laughs> Oh, God. And then you remember that Zion has more threes in his career now than Ben Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so with Bart mentioning Zion there, uh, it serves as a perfect transition for Wyatt to lead us into our next conversation. Uh, so Zion Williamson, he debuted on January 22nd against the Spurs. And I think as far as debuts go, it was pretty good. Uh, I know he struggled for the first th- through the first three quarters. Um, but, I mean, to end it, he went 4-4-4 four, four, four from three. 8 and 11 from the field, and he had 22 points. Um, there was heavy controversy in whether he should have finished that game because they could have won, which I don't think that they would have won. I think, I mean, they, they're regulating him. He hasn't played more than 27 minutes um, in between the three games that he's played now at this point. Um, I I think that if you take away the fourth quarter, and I know that that's, that was a big thing, and you kind of watch his other games, is that his game is definitely around the rim. I think his post game is a lot better than I thought it would be, but I think it's also very clear that he's raw as a player. And if he develops a good post game and he kind of gets more confidence shooting the ball, becoming a scorer, he'll become a better player. He deferred a lot in his very first game. So he has he still has a lot long way to go and of course he's like, he's 19 years old. He's got a long future ahead of him. In, in the basketball, but I, I definitely think we can maybe, and it's probably still way too early, move away from the bust conversation with Zion and, and kind of move more to him being just a solid contributor in the NBA. Yeah, the only thing I'm worried about is injuries. I think the only way that he ends up being a bust is if, like, these injuries come back. But yeah. I, I don't see any way he's a bust if he stays healthy. Yeah, I think he just has such, like, raw talent that, like, even if he doesn't develop a ton, like, he'll be a solid player for a while to come. But it's sad that it has gotten off to this slow start. It feels very Greg Odeny. I know. Like, he seems like he's this, like, generational talent, like the next LeBron, and then he didn't play until 
January twenty second or whenever. Was Ben Simmons when he missed his whole first season? <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> That's fair. But I, I also Ben Simmons has been good. He plays great defense. He held LeBron to like five points when he was covering great the other night. <laughs> I don't think Ben Simmons is necessarily the generational talent either that we thought he was. So. No, I'm kidding. Okay, I was just gonna say, like, I don't know to what extent, like, I don't know what the numbers actually say about how much less likely an injury is if you take the player out for like five extra minutes. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I'm I'm with uh, um, Coach Gentry on playing it safe with Zion. Like, one win in the long term is not really gonna change anything. So I respect them playing it safe with him. I agree that injuries are the only thing that could derail him in the long run. So. Yeah. And in safe. 22 minutes, yeah, and it's early, but in 22. Or in sorry, in the three games so far, he's averaging nineteen points per game in twenty two minutes, which is pretty impressive in yeah. return. So if he yeah. stays healthy rest of the year, I think the Pelicans get the eight seed. They're four and a half wow. games back right now. The the gap between the eight and seven seed in the West is ridiculous. It's larger than the gap between thirteen and eight. You know it'd be an interesting conversation if he does, is he would have to take it right now. The Grizzlies said number eight. Uh, where John Morant, mm-hmm. the current rookie of the year, I think that would be an interesting conversation for if he actually yeah. passes John Morant as rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. If they get if up they there, take, yeah. I don't think I don't think they will. I disagree that they're going to get up to the number eight seed. <laughs> uh, but there's no way, regardless, he passes John Morant as rookie of the year. <laughs> yeah, that he conversation shouldn't. is he ridiculous. Sports Center legit posted something the other day that was like, after his first game, he's like. Can Zion pass John Morant as the MVP or as the Rookie of the Year? I mean, like okay, absolutely. If, if he averaged like twenty-five and ten, you think it wouldn't be a valid conversation? Like, I think it's possible. No, we're still like almost halfway through the season, aren't we? I mean, we're yeah, over we're halfway through. Halfway yeah, halfway oh, we're already. We should be talking about Zion yeah. as a All Star snub more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. He might be a reserve. Yeah. They haven't announced the reserves yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that there's a case. Huh. He he hasn't played any games, and he won't play enough games to to be able to. I don't. I just yeah. I don't know. It's subjective. I think there's and a don't, there should, Go ahead. Don't undervalue the power of recency bias in the voters' minds. Is all I will say. That's yeah. That's yeah. No. Fair point. Recency bias has been our buzzword. There should be a games requirement. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think we're going to end it up, end it again with a rant section uh, with three of us. I'm going to start it off. And, guys, I just want you to close your eyes and visualize this. I'm going to give you two stat lines, MLB stat lines. First one, 310 batting average, 377 on-base percentage, 440 slugging, 260 home runs. Then give you a second one, 313 batting average, 400 OBP, 565 slugging, 383 home runs. Tell me which one is the first ballot Hall of Famer that came one vote shy of unanimous. The one that won first or second stat line. The one that won five Jeter. World Series. <laughs> <laughs> but which stat line is it? You would think it. You would think it'd be the second. You can't quantify heart, Jerry. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what the heart of my the heart of my argument is. Is that Jeter Jeter kind of gets in on his legend a little bit more than his stats really. I think, like in especially in baseball, obviously Jeter was was clutch, but you can't look. I don't think you can look at like five championships. It's not the same as Jordan winning six championships, where a basketball player can take over all forty eight minutes of the game or whatever. 
in baseball, you get four plate appearances, um, and you get maybe three or four uh, fielding opportunities, and that's kind of it. I think Derek Jeter, just everything kind of worked so right for him, where he was on the Yankees, you know, such a storied franchise. One, like, I think he, that he won four um, World Series before he was 26, and then one more at, in 2009, which is crazy. Um, so he, like, he obviously, like, got on, got on base a fair amount, but, um, and, but he had, um, really just the whole legend about him. He's kind of the closest to a Michael Jordan figure in another sport. Um, a a modern Michael Jordan figure. I I think most people probably see like a Babe Ruth for baseball, but Derek Jeter is like, I feel like the next closest thing in terms of his brand and all that, not necessarily his stats. But then you look at Larry Walker, who's, who just got a lot of knocks a lot of things that didn't really go his way. Um, so Derek Jeter did have more All-Stars, but Larry Walker got an MVP. Derek Jeter did not, which I did not know that Derek Jeter never won an MVP. Um, a lot of people were knocking Larry Walker because he played in Coors Field, where um, like the thin air is helping out his his things and everything. But he only um, I read that he only he only had like basically a third of his plate appearances there. So he was and he was good on the road too. So like I'm gonna just take away that argument. The war, their war is about the same, which I think is a, always a funny stat. But um, some things that worked against Larry Walker was the Coors Field thing. Um, when they were doing really well on the Expos, when they had the best, I think they had the best record um, up to that point. There was the player strike, so they just so they couldn't win the World Series that year. So Larry Walker, his knock really is that he didn't get the World Series rings. Um, I don't think he got any actually. So I, I think it's funny just what we value when we talk about like greatness and how much. Sometimes how much we forget about how much of a team effort it is, really, especially in a sport like baseball. But I, with that being said, I think it's ridiculous not to vote Jeter in on his first ballot. Um, I, I don't know who that one voter is. We just got dissed by Derek one time. I have no <laughs> idea. But um, I just think it's kind of interesting to look at. But I'm happy for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize Larry Walker had a 400 career on-base percentage. That's insane. Dude was, yeah... Mm-hmm. It's like very effective, low key though. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. One quick thing too, I did want to throw in though, Derek Jeter did hit a lot of RBIs. Him and Larry Walker have the exact same amount, thirteen eleven. Oh really? And Jeter also has like a thousand more or like nine hundred more hits than Larry Walker does as well. Yeah, he had a longer career. Yeah, I mean that too, but not like that much longer. Larry Walker played seventeen years, eighty nine to oh five. But but he, he was um, Walker was hurt a lot more though, so yeah. he had less plate appearances. That's fair. But. Yeah, I'm gonna do a, a quick rant today, um, just about Kyle Shanahan and maybe the value of sticking with a coach. Because if we look at the the 49ers between 2014 and 2017, they had a, a different coach start every year. They're definitely part of the coaching carousel. Um, and then Kyle Shanahan's first season, they went six and ten, which was better than the previous year under Chip Kelly. I don't know if Lucas, you have any anything to say about Chip Kelly, but um, he was <laughs> two and fourteen under Chip Kelly. So they had improvement the first year under Kyle Shanahan. Second year went back to four and twelve, and again, like Garoppolo got injured early in the season, like it was kind of a lost year. But still, you could see, you know, maybe them getting rid of Shanahan after two years of being pretty far under five hundred. Uh, but they stuck with him. Here he is in the Super Bowl just a year later. So maybe there's some value to once in a while sticking with a coach. Because a lot of times we see so many coaches stay for a year or two and then just automatically get discarded. Uh, and there's, you know, maybe there's 
given another year or so, they could really build what they were trying to build and make something happen. So I think Kyle Shanahan is maybe a, a good example case for that at the moment. Yeah, the Browns could take a, a page yeah. out of the 49ers book. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, yes, uh, the Browns. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah, continuity has its benefits. But you do see a lot of coaches now, though, getting long-term yeah. deals. Like, I mean, at yeah. least yeah. Uh, Gruden got the 10-year deal. Matt Rule got seven years. Joe Judge yeah. in New York got five years. I didn't hear about Ron Rivera or what the other ones, but, um, you know, they're getting long-term deals, and I think teams yeah. are understanding that a lot more. I think yeah, Kyle Shanahan the is, the, is the one. Yeah. yeah. Stefanski got six years, I think, five or six. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So does you, that, yeah. So. What is, like, do they just have to pay him the rest of it if they fire him? Like, that's the idea. I think coaches' contracts, and I don't know, this. I'm just saying this. I think coaches' contracts are guaranteed. So, that's like, nice. if John, like, I, I remember when John Gruden got hired, they were saying, like, well, if you fire him and he just takes a job in the booth, <laughs> he's still going to get that $100 million. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost in his best interest because then he'd be making money for <laughs> right. It's so much easier. Yeah, he just sits down on the couch and he's still getting paid ten million a year. Yeah. So yeah, I think I don't know if it's all. I think I don't know if it's just his or if it's all coaches' contracts. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah. That is um, my so rant. I wanted to to kind of touch on Kobe. Um, Jared asked me to do the podcast Sunday afternoon ish. And I thought that it was only appropriate when I saw my name as as one of the rants to to kind of talk about um, the events that transpired. So on on Sunday, January twenty sixth, we heard the unfortunate news of the passing of Kobe Bryant alongside his daughter, Gianna Bryant. Um, Kobe was an icon in his twenty year career. He was an eighteen time All Star, fifteen time All NBA member five-time NBA champion, and he won a league MVP in 2008. As we look back on Kobe, we recognize and celebrate Kobe's dedication and relentless approach to the game of basketball. His mindset transcends basketball and has sparked a fire in every competitor, including myself. Kobe is the reason I get up in the morning before the sunrise to go to the gym. You were one of my heroes, Kobe Bryant. I still can't believe it's real. I keep expecting to look up and see Kobe's face on the TV. And in some ways, I know he's still there. (laughs) Elements of his game have been passed down to the next generation. From uh, Devin Booker, to Trey Young, to Kyrie, to Jason Tatum, Luka, and LeBron. Some legends never do die. Um, It is with a heavy heart that I say the words, Rest in peace, Kobe. And uh, Gianna, Mamba forever. Sorry, that's all I got. Well said. Thank you. Yep, I think I think you make a good yeah. point in uh, the impact and like the the legacy that he left with current players speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he he famously trained a lot of players like like uh, i know jason tatum was one of them and, and Kyrie, who ended up leaving when he heard the news he didn't he didn't play that night um and i know that his daughter was a fan of trey young which kind of pays part of trey young wearing the number eight when he went out there uh yesterday and then um devin booker 
was of course a disciple of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, and as Lucas alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, like his it was the same way in the women's game. Like you look at like Arike or like Sabrina Ionescu, like they both were clearly like very impacted by Kobe. And, like he just yeah, just throughout basketball in all all versions. And uh I, I and there's a lot of talk right now of it, emotions are very high and and honestly this is the first time that i've actually cried about it um the more i see it i do feel like the kind of harder it gets going forward but um a lot of talk about like what the nba should do for kobe whether they should change the logo um a lot of the teams like mark cuban retired his jersey uh i think <clears throat> my proposal would be to the nba would be to um have have like what they do in the MLB where they have Jackie Robinson Day. Have a Kobe Bryant Day. He does have a, a Kobe Bryant Day on 824. Um, one team can just wear all number eight for that day. And then another team can wear just all number 24 for that day. Um, I think that would be a good way. I, I heard name an award after him. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. So I, I do hope that the NBA, and I know that they will recognize him and his legacy. Yeah, I heard a good, a good idea because he's tied for the most all-star MVPs. Renaming that trophy after him mm. would be a, yeah. a good touch. I agree. Yep. And on that note, <clears throat> we will end the podcast on a solemn note. Um, though, look out for our podcast next week. We'll have some more topics to discuss, and I hope you guys join us next week as well. <laughs>